Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Show of hands, outside the Lord, how many of you know somebody who is righteous? Okay, defined this way. Righteous being right in everything all the time. How many of you know somebody who's righteous? Or at least thinks they're righteous? Yeah. I see him in the mirror every morning as well. Um, Psalm 103 speaks to these attributes of the Lord. And as we're walking through that this month, I'm going to talk today about his righteousness and consequently how he plants out and sows out righteousness for us as well to live in and walk in. So let's look today at verses 6 to 11 of Psalm 103, if you will, with me. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. All right, four things today to glean out of this text. The first is this, is the Lord's righteousness is being worked out. It's being worked out. Look at verse 6 again with me. He says there, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. This idea that he works righteousness means that he's working on it that he's working it out, that it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that, that, he is, that, that, that he speaks to that is in process, more or less. This gives us a picture that God is a God of process for us. Uh, he already sees the, the end product. He sees the end of our day, the end of our week, the end of our, our life, the end of our world. He sees all those things, and yet he's working out step-by-step processes for us to find him and walk in righteousness with him. Uh, he's... He's around the next corner, around the next uh, situation for us to, if he wanted to, manipulate and change each situation for us on his own, however he would like for it to be, for our good, for his good, for someone else's good. And could, as I say, snap his fingers and change that. And I wonder, why doesn't he do that oftentimes? Why doesn't he change our circumstance the way we would like? I would submit to you there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is this is that your circumstance and your situation, whether mountaintop or valley or somewhere in between, your circumstance is seldom, if ever, just about you. He is always up to something bigger than just you, up to someone usually close to you. He may be up to things generationally from how, how you were raised or what you learned or what you're sowing into someone on the path behind you that you're either mentoring or have influence over or your kids or a friend or, or, or a neighbor, a coworker. It is seldom, if ever, just about you. Your circumstance is always about other people. It's important to see that because we get consumed and the enemy says, God doesn't like you anymore. In fact, he doesn't love you, he doesn't like you, and he's, he's pouring all this junk into your life to show you that. No, God never works that way. It, this, this passage tells us his love endures forever. His, his, as, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us, he says. He, he never works for our, for our bad. He's always at work for our good and his glory. Yet, it seems sometimes that our circumstances would say something different than that. But know that he's always at work 
bigger and broader than just you. Second thing he wants us to see and understand is that he is in control. That it's not, it's not us that's in, in control of our situations or even a boss or a, a politician or, or, or a president or uh, some other world leader. That he's the one who's in control of this world and of its circumstances. And, that he, and he, he wants us to see that so that we will pursue him, we will follow him all the way to the end of whatever, whatever that is. Why does he do that? Because he already knows the outcome. He already sees his glory and your good as you learn to follow him through any hard circumstance. He sees that. And is it working that way? Uh, the outcome, he knows that the outcome for you is, is a deeper faith in him, a more consistent walk with him. And that is what right, rightness or righteousness looks like lived out and walked out in our life, making the right decision to trust him all the way to the end of whatever it is and that it may change person to person. And it may change in you from year to year sometimes, whatever, whatever God is up to. He works out righteousness, working, working his righteousness in us, in our lives. And we can't experience his righteousness and stay in control of our lives at the same time. We've got to understand he's in control. He's in charge, not me. Uh, I would do things much differently. I would do things that would, would make it much easier for me, make it more comfortable for, for me. Yet... He sees a way that refines me and, and, and forms me and molds me into his image by way of how my circumstances are being lived out and walked out in my life. So I've got to know those two things, that it's seldom if ever about me, and he is in control, not me. Second thing is this. Not only is the Lord's righteousness being worked out, but secondly, the Lord's righteousness reveals his presence. It reveals his presence. Look at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Compassionate gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. This speaks to the Lord's patience in working out righteousness, in working out rightness, the right outcome in our lives. From, from creation uh, taking seven days, and it could have taken seven seconds if he wanted, to the nation of Israel wandering, wandering in the desert for 40 years, to Jesus preparing three years, 30 years for about a three-year ministry, uh, to both the chronology and the mystery of the book of Revelation, one thing is consistent throughout that, the scripture, and that's this. The Lord is a God of process. Yes, that's true. That's consistent. We looked at that. But he is also a God of great detail. He pays attention to the details. You, you find that all throughout scripture. This Bible is packed with story after story uh, about God waiting until the timing was perfect for him to show up, for him to initiate something and intervene in, in some, someone's life. As I said a moment ago, he could snap his finger and instantly work out our circumstance for our comfort, for our good, but he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, 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 he sees to something deeper than that, further than that, because he is patient. And his patience uh, in our lives is because oftentimes the details have not been worked out. As I said a moment ago, it's seldom, if ever, just about you, whether, it's, whether your, your life is in, on the mountaintop or in the valley or somewhere in between. He's working out the details through your life, in your life, to someone else. He's always at work in you to work through you every time. Don't ever forget that. If he's working in my circumstances, he wants to use those circumstances to work through me into the lives of others as well. And so his patience is because he's working out the details in those situations. Uh, and that, 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 that is the right way, the righteous way to work for, uh, for us and in us. We aren't islands in this world to ourselves. None of, us, none of us live and die to ourselves, as Scripture says. He doesn't design us to be islands. Our, our lives are to be interconnected. It's to be interconnected with, with others around us. It's also, I believe, to be inter interconnected generationally with those, from those behind us 
to those ahead of us. And so as we see our lives along, I often talk about looking at life through an eternal lens, through a much longer lens. If we'll learn to see our life through that lens, we'll start to see that God is up to something bigger than just, our, just us and just our circumstances. That he's up to, up to something generationally and up to something culturally and up to something relationally and up to something spiritually all at the same time through the same circumstance. Now, if, we, if we're just seeing through our own little lens, we'll never see those things. We've got to look through a much longer and broader lens to see that, to see that he is patient because he's working out the details that we can't see at work and in play at that, at that very moment. Thirdly, the Lord's righteousness is being worked out. It reveals his patience. Thirdly, the Lord's righteousness reveals his restraint. Look at verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Man, aren't you glad that's true? I'm glad today that I, I don't get what I deserve. I'm glad you don't get what you deserve because, as, I, as I've said before, regardless of your innocence or, or your guilt, what you've been through, what you've, what you've, uh, the, the road you've walked in life, be grateful that you don't get what you deserve because each of us today deserve the back corner of hell crying out for mercy. That's what each of us deserve, and that's not what we get. We get his mercy. We get his grace. We get his abundance poured into our lives. We get this idea of, that he speaks to in Psalm 103, of his restraint, of his holding back his judgment for us in restraint because we don't get what we deserve. Uh, that's, we, need to, we, we talked last week, uh, uh, in fact, about looking at how completely and totally we, we were forgiven. We need to get a glimpse of how deep that forgiveness is and how, how broad his restraint is from judgment for us. The, the, the stories in the scripture of Adam, all the way back to the garden, of Jacob, of David, of Jonah, of Mary Magdalene, of Peter, of Paul, those tell us stories of fallen people, of people that didn't make it, make all the right decisions and do all the right things. Uh, in fact, some stumbled a lot in the scripture, some of us a lot sometimes too, but that doesn't have to be what defines us. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says there, he will, always, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He will not always accuse, speaks to this idea of his restraint, of how he holds back his judgment for us against what we deserve. Not because we're innocent, but because we're guilty. He, he holds his restraint to us because we're guilty and forgives again and again and again. Forgiveness is deep and wide. As I said last week, there are consequences to our decisions, and the Holy Spirit will use the, those consequences to draw us back into fellowship with him, to draw us back into a right place with him. But doesn't, he, he, and that conviction is, as I, as I said, to draw us back. However, if you're here today and you feel accused, you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel guilt-ridden, what I want you to hear is that's not from God. He doesn't do guilt. He doesn't accuse, as, as this verse says. If you're feeling and sensing those kinds of things in your life, that's from our enemy, the devil. I understand where it's coming from and, and speak against it, speak the scripture. This scripture, in fact, would be a great one. When you wake up in the morning, you're feeling guilty, you're feeling alone, isolated, accused. Speak Psalm 103 back to the, to the enemy, and I'm going to tell you, he will flee from that. He'll flee from the scripture. It's your greatest weapon against him. But it, it, uh, the Lord's righteousness reveals his restraint. It's, uh, it's, it's a choice he makes to pursue us that way and restrain his, his judgment for us and give us love instead, uh, not because we deserve it, but because we are guilty. His righteousness being worked out, he reveals his patience, it reveals his restraint. Fourthly, the Lord's righteousness reveals his great love. Look at verse 11. He says, therefore, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
So great is his love for those who fear him. David is posing a question wrapped up in a statement in verse 11. In essence, he's asking, how high are the heavens above the earth? Uh, where, where do the heavens end? The human mind can't fathom in that day the, the vastness of the heaven. That day and in our day. In fact, I read recently of the, the most powerful uh, microscope or, or telescope that was put on a ship that was sent to, to, to what was thought to be the end of our galaxy. And they found at the end of our galaxy a black hole that they can't, that they can't see the end of. That's, that may speak to you about the size of our galaxy and the size of our universe. What it speaks to me about is the size of our God. Because the size of our God is such that the, the smartest and the most technologically advanced man to ever live is the, is the man that's alive today, and we still can't find the end of the universe. That's, that's the vastness of our God and, and the size of our God, the, is how great he is. That's how high the heavens are above the earth and how, how high and deep his love for us is. Uh, John 1, 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and Ephesians 2 speak to that. It says in John, John, 1 John chapter 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are. Then Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but because of his great love for us, God, watch this, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. First John speak, uh, 3 speaks to the fact that we are loved and adopted. He adopts us in because of that love. Ephesians 2 speaks to the fact that we are loved to salvation, saving us because of that great love. That's how deep and, and wide and vast his love is. If you're a married person, you understand that love is a choice. If you're also a parent, you understand you're compelled to love. And so what, what God does there in, in, in painting this love picture for us is says, I'm choosing a love that compels me to pursue you. My love is a choice for you that I made at the cross, but yet that continuing love pursues you and compels me to come after you and come after you and come after you and come after you. That's the kind of picture you need to give God's love, of his choice at the cross, of his choice before the earth was ever created to, to send his son Jesus to die for our sins. But yet, because of that choice, it moves him, to, him into a position where he has no choice but, but to pursue us and come after us and continue to love us and pour out his love into our lives. Why does he love us that way? Because we deserve it? <laughs> Absolutely not. It's because... You're loved because you are, you're his children. He chooses to love us. His love for us is, is undefinable. It's also undeniable. He chooses to love us with a love so compelling, so vast that it's incalculable. It's, 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 it's immeasurable. Why does he love us that way? Because we deserve it. No, we don't. It's because he is righteous and his love is righteous for us. His love is right for us. Again. His love is given to, to those, who, he says in this verse, who fear him, meaning not who crumble in fear, oh God, don't hit me. No, but those who revere him and those who are in awe of him. That's what he speaks to in, in, in those who fear God. We are, we are those who revere, uh, revere him, hold in, him in reverence and are in awe of him. And get this as well, the more awed we are, the greater understanding we have of his love for us. The greater understanding we have for his love for us, the more you and I have the opportunity to walk in victory. And so that awe of him, that fear of him, 
leads us to understand his love, and his love leads us to, into a place of victory where we can never fail because we know him and are loved by him and are pursued by him. That's how great and how vast the love it is. Uh, I wish I could paint a better picture for you today, but I can't other than what David said. It's, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. You are loved today by him. Um, I mean, a couple of observations as we wrap up. That's this. It's because of his righteousness, because of his righteousness, that we are loved and forgiven. It's because of his righteousness that we are forgiven and loved. It has nothing to do with our value. It has nothing to do with how much we're worth. It has nothing to do with the gifts and strengths and, and talents and abilities we bring to the table. It has nothing to do with what we're owed. It has nothing to do with, with what we are due or what, what we're entitled to. It has nothing to do with whether our life is working out like the way we'd like for it to, uh, to work out or not. It has to do with his love for you, pursuing you, coming after you. His righteousness is what brings him to a place of doing that, his, of doing the right thing, of loving us the right way. And a loving, righteous, and forgiving God, Psalm 103 speaks to all throughout this, this chapter, deserves your praise. A loving, righteousness, righteous, and forgiving God deserves your praise regardless of your circumstance. You say, I'll praise the Lord when life gets better for me. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. Uh, I've been wanting to do that my whole life. But he is praiseworthy even when our circumstances should say otherwise. You know what, what the value of that? The value of that is that's a tremendous testimony to our world. If we can praise our Lord when our circumstances would, would tell us to do otherwise. But a loving, righteous, righteous and forgiving God deserves our praise. So the question as we close is, does he have it? Does he have the, is, is your life a, a, a praise lived, a praise worthy life? Is he praise worthy in your life? Uh, if he doesn't have it, can he get it? Can he, can he find a way to, in your life, uh, to, to, to get in value and unleash your praise? If he can't get it, what does he have to do to get it? Does God have to be Santa to you? Does he have to be at your beck and call, bringing things to make your life work out the way it should work out, making your life more comfortable? If that's what he has to, if that's what he has to do to get it, you'll never praise him the way he deserves. But if you learn to praise God through circumstances, whether, as I said, on the mountaintop, on the valley, somewhere in between those two places, you're going to find a life that starts to make an impact. You're going to find a life that has greater influence. You're going to find a life as well that has, and watch this, a greater sense of peace about who you are and where you are because of whose you are. If you understand who you, who you belong to and who is in control of your circumstances and who is loving you and pursuing you in the midst of those day after day after day, it's far easier to praise him in those moments and in those hard places. Why? Because you see and know God is up to something. As I said, up to something always bigger than you, involves others around you, and, and up to something to, to teach us the fact that he, that we should know and live, that he, we know and realize he's in control. And because he is, I can trust him in, in, in whatever bleak situation this may be, whether it's a health problem, a, a financial problem, a, a vocational problem, a relational problem, a marriage problem. I can trust him in the middle of it because I know he is righteous and he loves, his love pursues me with, with, with what is good for me every time, every time. Does he deserve your praise? Does he have it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, if, if there are anything in our life that keep, keeps you from being praiseworthy, whether that is our listening to and agreeing with the enemy that our life isn't the way it should be and we're blaming you for it, 
or whether we don't have enough, whatever enough looks like, or whether we've not arrived, whatever arrival looks like, or whether we fill in the, you fill in the blank for each person here. We're not enough, but you are. We'll never arrive, but you have. We'll never see a way through a circumstance that's bigger than us, but you already do. God, would you teach us today to learn to trust you because you are righteous. You are full of rightness. You do everything the right way in the right time for the right reasons and the right motives. Teach us to walk in that place. Teach us to pursue righteousness. Teach us to walk in, in, in this idea of rightness, of being on the right side of things because you, that's where you are and where you've called us to be. You are praiseworthy because of that, because we can see your hand at work by way of your word and your hand at work by way of your testimony in the lives of those who claim to know you. We see your hand and can follow it and trust it because we know your love is directly behind it. Grateful today for these reminders of, of your righteousness, righteousness and your call for us to walk in, the, in that same righteous place. Teach us today to love that, pursue it, to come after you, just as you love, pursue, and relentlessly come after us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.